look at the front of your bulletins, you would see um, a section called Church Resolutions for 2016. What has amazed me is that the year has gone so fast. And I remember when we, as a church, made these resolutions. And the question I want to ask members of this local church is, how have you been doing with your resolution so far for the year? And this morning, I will be addressing one of the resolutions, the last one, number five, called discipleship. Grow in being disciples. My message this morning is taken from Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Luke 14, 25 through 33. Now, many people today do not understand what it means to be a genuine Christian. There are multitudes that follow Jesus or claim to be Christians. But what they do, they follow him on their own terms. And they do it as we say how they want to do it. They do not truly comprehend what the Bible means by discipleship. And as a result of their ignorance, many people consider themselves to be followers of Jesus the Christ. The truth is, they are not. And in many ways, they look like followers of him. After all, they attend church gatherings. They have a profession of faith. They pray. They read their Bibles. They give offerings, but they are not genuine. Now, in our text today, Christ confronts this problem and makes it extremely clear what it means to be a Christian. So, after today, there is no reason to be ignorant or self-deceived. Now, interestingly enough, in the New Testament, the word Christian is not predominantly used to describe followers of Christ. In fact, the term disciples occurs some 269 times in the New Testament, while the term Christian only occurs three times. In the book of Acts, we are told that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Acts 11 Verse 26, we understand that those who believe in Jesus Christ and follow him are fundamentally disciples who are called Christians. Disciples are who they are, and Christians are what they are called. Now, traditionally over time, the word Christian has overshadowed and marginalize the term disciple. So that is where we are today. You will 
here most of the time Christian. But that is not what Christ called us. But this is where we live and this is what has happened. Now Luke 14 verse 25 through 33. And when I read this, it's amazing how you can read the Bible and not really read the Bible. You can see things and not really see it. And this particular passage here, I guarantee you, there are things that we as Christians, disciples, have overlooked. Luke 14, 25 through 33. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you Desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore... Any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Heavenly Father, we, we pause, Lord, to thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord, for instructions in Scripture. And most importantly, Lord, words of Jesus the Christ on how we are to be disciples. Father, we all need help. And Father, I need help today to bring your word with clarity to your people. And Lord, to help them to understand what you meant by following you. We thank you, Lord, that we will hear we will obey. And Father, our lives will be changed as a result of your word today. And Father, we thank you once again for Jesus the Christ, who was a true 
disciple. Amen. Now, in these verses, Jesus calls out to those who would be his disciples. And he he calls them. He commands them. He compels them to make a choice about who they will put first in their lives. And as we read and hear what Jesus has to say to the people of that time, we shall also hear the radical call that goes out to us today as well. Now, according to the Gospel writer Luke, in his account, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And Jesus knows what is ahead of him. Hostility and violence, suffering and death. Now, this crowd that's been following Jesus And those of us who are familiar with the Gospels know Jesus was very popular. Jesus' message was different from that of the religious leaders of the day. He could actually raise the dead. He could give sight to the blind. He could heal crippled people. Apart from that, Multiply loaves of bread and fish and walk on water. So what we have here is this young Jewish rabbi who's very popular. And he's being followed by crowds and multitudes of people. And everybody knows that, as Jesus said, They were not really interested in his message of salvation. They were interested more in the things that he could do. And in the context of the time, they thought that they were on this victory march to overthrow the Roman occupation and that Jesus would be the promised Messiah to freedom from Roman oppression and take up the rightful throne of David. Now, they were oblivious to what Jesus had in mind, or his mission, or his destiny. We, on this side, we knew that Jesus was headed towards Jerusalem. And we know, ultimately, what awaited him. And he knew as well. Now, he was not moved by the enthusiasm of the crowd. Because Jesus knew that even though they were walking with him, their hearts were not really with him. And Jesus didn't waste time. Because he knew it was necessary to make the crowd aware of the commitment required to be true disciples. You see, Jesus was seeking recruits and not spectators. Discipleship is not an easy task. 
because discipleship requires putting Christ above everything in our lives. And discipleship requires paying an extremely high cost if you're going to really truly follow Jesus Christ. Now, in our world today, it seems that the greatest sin that you could commit is offending a person. And when I talk about offending a person, we don't want to tell people the truth about what it means to follow Christ. We guard our words. We guard our attitudes. We guard our actions. And we're afraid that people are going to be offended and they're going to turn away and they're not going to be interested in receiving the message of the gospel. What is um, interesting here is when we examine the words of Jesus, we realize that Jesus didn't make the path to discipleship easy. And that, was, that, really, that really got my attention. Jesus didn't make following him easy. He never did. Because he didn't want followers to get the wrong idea or impression. He didn't want them to get a false sense of salvation. He actually made extreme demands that discouraged people from following him. And that is what got my attention going through this text. In a world today, we tend to make things, well, let me put it this way. There are people who make things easy and say, if you give your life to Christ, if you follow Christ, all of your problems are going to disappear. If you've got a illness, you're going to get healed. If you've got a money problem, abundance of money. If you have a relationship problem, it's going to be worked out. But this is not the message. This is not the call to discipleship as we read in Scripture. And it's not about music that plays, that works on your emotion, that sets an environment for you to make a decision. That is completely opposite to what Jesus required of those who would follow him. Now, these things happen in the Christian world today. It's called manipulation. But you see, Jesus knew that if a person really sat down and counted the cost and made a decision to follow him, they would be people who would last. They would be people who, when the cares of this life the deceitfulness of riches, the obstacles, the problems with families, relationships, the problems with money, the problems with health, they're going to still hold on to him. So, we see it being the complete opposite to what is being, I say, manipulated or promoted 
in Christianity today. Now, my message today, my theme is, true disciples put Christ above everything else and consider the cost. True disciples put Christ above everything else and consider the cost. My thoughts will be focused around two areas, two main points. The first being, true disciples of Christ put everything, put him above everything else. True disciples of Christ put him above everything else. True disciples of Christ put him above everything else. Verse 26 reads, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, can you imagine the astonishment and the offense that must have occurred when Jesus said this? You see, Jesus refused to not want to hurt feelings on those who claim to be his followers. You see, the call to discipleship is one of allegiance. A call to put Christ above everything in your life. And in this particular instance, human relationship. Now, in Jesus' time, society then valued family ties and commitments above all else. And you see, his words were a blatant and frontal attack on that treasured aspect of social life. Because just like back then and now, I know you love your family. We love our families. Now, this word hate that is used here in this passage is not to be taken literally, but, is, but it is used figuratively to express a point. You see, in Jewish culture, the word hate was used to express a lesser love for something. So what Jesus is actually saying here is that we must cultivate such a devotion to him that our attachment to everything else, including our own lives, would seem like hatred in comparison. And Jesus is not contradicting love for parents because honor your father and your mother. This is what these people knew. The book of Deuteronomy. Also, loving your neighbor as you love yourself. See, he's not con contradicting love for parents, family, and persons. Jesus is addressing a level of commitment. A level of commitment to him that disciples should possess. He is saying that a disciple's commitment to obey and follow him must be greater than any other relationship you have in your life. And this is challenging. There are some relationships we have in our lives that tend to get in the front of our relationship with Christ. 
We have family members whom we love dearly. But we know the life that they live, the things that they do are not pleasing to God. And we compromise. Because one of the things that I've come to know is that evil and sin is very powerful. It's very influential. Listening to Brother Seeley this morning reminded me of that, that particular passage about Abraham and Lot. You see, Lot took the better portion of a piece of land. But what Lot didn't truly understand is that his land, this land that he, that he, that he possessed, was close to a place called Sodom. He, didn't, he, 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 tent, he put his tent outside Sodom. He didn't go into Sodom. But what we come to realize that over time, he ended up in Sodom. So what I'm talking about is an influence. Jesus' influence over us has to be greater than the influence of friends and families who can lead us astray. We have situations where it may be a married couple. One is a committed follower of Christ. The other isn't. Now, that's hell on earth. That is hell on earth. How could two walk together unless they're in agreement? It doesn't work. Young people, if you've got a relationship with someone and you know they're not walking with Christ, it's only a matter of time before they influence in you, they influence in you, they influence you to do things that are contrary to what you believe. It doesn't work. You see, one of the deceptions we have is, is that we're stronger, we're smarter, and it won't happen to me. Throughout Scripture, that is not the case. We have to be very careful about who we align ourselves with. Now, relationships in all form and fashion are difficult in and of themselves because we live in a fallen world. But we who follow Christ have to stand for what is right, regardless. And this is the kind of stand, this is the kind of commitment, this is the kind of putting everything else in our lives to Christ, put him above everything else, this is where, as we say, the rubber meets the road. So we have to be careful as it relates to relationships where the other party is not a follower of Christ. I want you to think about a mother and a father at the bedside of a critically ill child. The doctor has prescribed some medication that the child desperately needs to recover. But the child hates the medicine and refuses to take it. 
Do the parents follow the desires of their precious child? Or do they follow the instructions of the doctor? What is the priority here? What comes first? As loving and concerned parents, and I'm sure many of you, you would administer the medication regardless of what the child says, regardless of what the child feels. Your loyalty is to a principle. Your loyalty is to an authority greater than the child's feelings at the moment. Our loyalty, our commitment, has to be to Christ. If you are a follower or a disciple. In verse 27, Jesus uses a metaphor. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, crosses today are in abundance on buildings, round people's neck, figures, figurines, etc. But Everyone who was in the audience at that time knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. Carrying his cross. Crucifixion. That is what the Romans used to keep. As they would say, keep peace. Wherever they occupied or wherever they colonized. And crucifixion was brutal. And it was cruel. If you were a condemned criminal, or if you were a rebel, the Romans knew exactly how to deal with you. Condemned criminals were forced to carry the crossbeam to the place of execution. Yeah, those pictures about a full cross, no. You have to carry a crossbeam. And you carried that. And it was heavy. And they made sure that when you carried it, they would be beating you the same time until you got to your place of execution. So everybody knew that whoever was carrying a cross, that person was saying goodbye to everything because there was no turning back and you were not coming back home. And you see, Jesus used this graphic illustration to bring home the point that following him requires the same kind of saying goodbye. The same kind of attitude you have to adopt if you've got habits, lifestyle patterns, things that are not pleasing to God. Now, remember... As I indicated, uh, Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem. And he is headed towards suffering and death. On our behalf. And he invited and he continues to invite those who would follow him to identify with him in the fellowship of dishonor and suffering. So getting back to what I said earlier. There are situations that we, as followers of Christ, that we live in, 
They're difficult. They're hard. We suffer. We suffer as a result of following the Christ. But we look to him who endured the cross and the shame, who persevered to give us strength and give us hope. You see, true disciples of Christ give up their claims to things that they think they deserve. Claims to comfort. Claims to companionship. Claims to even life itself. When we look around the world today, there are countries where following Christ results in ostracism, isolation, persecution, or even death. I read an article about Christians. It's Iran. And... Um, you know, it's, 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 um, these people have existed following Christ for years, and this threat of ISIS has changed their whole way of life. They are not able to worship openly. They've lost their homes. They've lost their families. And um, what was amazing is that, and they're saying that we still will not give up. We will still follow Christ, even if it means losing our lives. And um, for many of us, we will not be called to give our lives for Christ. But we must be prepared to die to ourselves, to die to our own personal agendas, to die to things that we feel we deserve, we feel we should do it our way and not his way. The question is, are you prepared to die to yourself? Are you prepared to be crucified? As Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. You see, this is the graphic illustration that Jesus is saying for commitment to follow him. And as I said, some of us would not be required to give our lives, but there are those in this world, it is happening, and it will continue to happen because of their stand for Christ. As Martin Luther said, a religion that gives nothing, that costs nothing, and suffers nothing, is worth nothing. So what price are you prepared to pay in order to follow Christ? I think about those who are in this congregation. Those who have 
left their homes to come to a foreign country and to serve. And it's admirable. They understand this gospel. They understand it. Now, that's not everybody's call. That's not everybody's situation. That's not everybody's circumstance. But demonstration, the actual living of being a disciple, is shown and seen every day. We think of people like the Seelies. We think of people like the Ryans. We think of Jennifer Rogers. It's life right in front of our faces. They are living what they have read, what they've been taught, what, they, what has been preached to them. This commitment, this following, put in Christ above everything else. Because I can tell you, for most of us, we ain't moving nowhere. We, we, we're not going to leave home because it's comfortable. For some people, following Christ, it is not comfortable. It requires sacrifice and commitment. I, I think about those in our congregation who drive the bus early every Sunday morning. A lot of things goes on in this local church that goes unnoticed. Because think about it. You got to get up earlier. You got to pick people up. And most of the people do it with no complaints. I think about those who serve in prayer ministry Sunday mornings before service. These are people who made commitments and put Christ above everything else. And this is what it comes down to. It comes down to real life. One of the things I've come to find out, I just finished the last Christianity Explored session. And I said this to Troy. And I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, the only way Christianity Explored is going to be successful is when members of this local church make a decision to identify people in their lives, expose them to Christianity Explored or invite them, and for seven nights, accompany them to Christianity Explored. It doesn't work any other way. Most people, if you invite them to a church, they're not coming, especially to something that they're not familiar with. I've seen members in this local church seven Tuesdays committed with people they've invited. What I'm trying to show, see, this is discipleship. This is, re, this is real discipleship. You want to say it this way? Discipleship 101. It's not going to happen any other way. Yes, prayers required. 
Yes, inviting people to social functions. But when it comes down to the real deal or the foundation, you have to become a part of these people's lives. And let me tell you, they got to fight the traffic. They may not have transportation themselves, which means you have to pick them up. And afterwards, you got to take them home. I think those are small in comparison to giving your life for dying for Christ. I think it's small in comparison to leave your home and go into a foreign country and serve. You see, I've come to realize, you see, God looks at the broad picture. The broad picture. Because God knows everything about every single one of us. And if you say you're following Christ, the demands are right here written. Now the next area of my message I'd like to cover is true disciples of Christ consider the cost. True disciples of Christ consider the cost. Verse 28. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Now what Jesus is using here is two parabolic illustrations involving building and going to war. And both of them warn against making a hasty decision to follow him. Those who consider following Jesus Christ must first count the cost to see if they will persevere on this journey. I, you know, I, I, I remember telling my wife, I say, it's amazing. And this is what I, I appreciate people who tell me the deal up front. You ever been into a deal with somebody and they didn't tell you everything up front and down the road it changed? I've been in some agreements like that. Well, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I, I, you know, I didn't say that, you know. Oh, oh, oh I forgot to tell you. Mm-mm. Jesus tells you the deal up front. And that's called being honest. And as I said earlier, he wasn't looking for the crowd. You know, I can imagine for some of those who we call preachers, evangelists. Man, it was an evangelist dream. You know, just have a crowd of people. And you're right there saying to yourself, I got all of this. And Jesus is saying, I'm not impressed with the crowd. Their hearts ain't really with me. They're only really interested in the things I could do for them. I'm popular. I could solve a lot of their problems. Uh-uh. His thing was, you have to count 
the cost. You see, because Jesus knew that this road of discipleship is difficult, there will be obstacles, trials, tests, temptations, and you got to be able to make it. He wasn't looking for stony ground following. He wasn't looking for that. He's looking for good soil. And we're talking about hearts. Hearts that are receptive and hearts that sit down and truly understand what it means to follow Christ. Now, this particular builder that Jesus is referring to here is a person who built a watchtower. And in Jesus' day, watchtowers were put up around the city. Watchtowers were put up around large agricultural holdings. And these watchtowers were designed for safety and the protection. This is where guards or watchmen would be stationed. And they would be able to see those who would seek to steal, pillage, whatever possession, possessions, or if it's a city, come to basically take over the city. And these towers were an expensive undertaking. And they were not to be taken lightly. Those of you who have built houses, I know you understand where Jesus is coming from. It's expensive. And especially in our society today, the cost for building is astronomical. But what Jesus is saying here is an expensive undertaking that you cannot take lightly. This is something you don't just do on impulse. You got to sit down and you got to calculate the cost. You got to sit down and you got to say, how much money is it going to take to finish this project? What are the resources that I need? You see, in society back then, it was a big thing with honor and shame. That's the reason why Jesus is saying that whether he has enough to complete it, otherwise when he's laid a foundation and is not able to see it, all who see it begin to mock him. Well, today, people are going to mock you if you can't finish a project, but back then, it was, really, it was really a big thing. You would be disgraced in society. And so Jesus is saying, you need to really sit down and understand what you're getting yourself into. Because if you were not able to finish, it would be embarrassment. You see, wisdom involves reflection rather than reaction. Wisdom involves reflection rather than reaction. And it's the same way Jesus doesn't want followers of him to commit without understanding the seriousness about what is involved in making this decision. You see, decisions that are half-hearted and emotional, they lack the integrity to finish the journey. If you make a decision to 
to follow Christ. And it's based on emotion. It's based on not sitting down and seriously considering and counting the cost. The chances are you are going to burn out. You're going to quit. You're going to give up when things get tough. Theologian John Stott, when I read this, and it's from a book called Basic Christianity. And this is just a plug-in for John, John Stott. If you want to give a very good Christmas present to somebody, give them this book. It's called Basic Christianity. And John Stott writes in Basic Christianity, the Christian landscape is strewn with the wreckage of derelict half-built towers. The ruins of those who began to build and were unable to finish. For thousands of people still ignore Christ's warning and undertake to follow him without first pausing to reflect on the cause of doing so. The result is the great scandal of Christendom today, so-called nominal Christianity. In countries to which Christian civilization has spread, large numbers of people have covered themselves with a decent but thin veneer of Christianity. They have allowed themselves to become somewhat involved enough to be respectable, but not enough to be uncomfortable. Their religion is a great soft cushion. It protects them from the hard unpleasantness of life while changing its place and shape to suit their convenience. No wonder the cynics speak of hypocrites in the church and dismiss religion as escapism. That really hits home. That's really something to really contemplate. I am... This is one of my little jokes. You know, I always tell people in here, I'm an Anglican in disguise. My brother is a priest. My first cousin, is, they're priests. They're Anglican priests. My background is Anglican. So, you know, I'm looked at as an outsider. But what I've come to learn, and I tell people this, we have to always be careful about coming to assumptions about people as it relates to what they believe and how they worship. You see, because at the end of the day, it all comes down to Christ. Um, and the reason why I'm saying this is, I got a great joy that John Stott happened to be an Anglican. An Anglican, in fact, an Anglican priest. In fact, Christianity explored, came out of the church that John Stott served. So I always be laughing all the time with Pastor Moss. I always laugh. I say, yeah, Anglican. And I always remember many years ago. Um, it's another book. It may be in the bookstore. It's called The Cross of Christ. And I remember when Pastor Moss, his messages changed. Change. 
And I was asking him, I said, what, what's, what's, what's going on? And it was because of that book written by this Anglican called John Stott. So I say that to say, as long as a person makes a commitment to put Christ first, I'm not concerned about the trappings. I'm not concerned about the rituals and all that kind of stuff or the robes that they may wear. We have enough information to know whether people are genuine and true followers of Christ based on this same text that we're reading here today. Now, Jesus also talks about a king. A king who was preparing to embark on a military campaign against another king. One thing I could say, Jesus, I mean, he, he was very good at illustrations. And you see, these people understood exactly what he was talking about. Now you see, this king has fewer troops than his enemy. The truth is, he only has half the amount. Now if this king has any smarts, he's not going to rush into a battle because the odds are against him. It would be a foolish campaign. Even if he determines that his army is not equipped for the engagement, he just doesn't sit down on his throne and twiddle his thumbs and wait to be conquered. He exercises prudence and sends out a delegation, as Jesus said, while the other is yet a great way off and asks for terms of peace. That's wisdom. Because you could end up losing your life for making hasty, foolish decisions. And as Jesus, see, Jesus is trying to show us how serious it is when we make this commitment or those of us who continue on this road of discipleship. Now, these two par parables, they're, they're, they're parallel, but they approach the issue of counting the cost for discipleship in two slightly different perspectives. In the first parable, Jesus calls the crowd to sit down and consider whether they could afford to follow him. Can you afford it? Moving towards discipleship involves serious consideration. It's not something that you do impulsively. And we don't tell people because there's always this pressure for those of us to push people to Christ. A lot of evangelists do it. This, and, and they've been doing it. And see, that's the reason why the landscape of a lot of countries that say they follow Christ or they're Christians, when you really look at the country, when you really look at the people, you know it's otherwise. And we have to be honest. Think about our country. In the second parable, Jesus calls the crowd to sit down and consider whether they could afford not to follow him. You see, after you've done your contemplation, after you've seriously considered 
we, as those who hear the call of Christ, we pursue peace with God on his gracious terms. I always recall a, a pastor that I appreciated material when I did prison ministry. His name is Bob Mumford. And he, he, was, he was explaining how, listen, you're going up against a king, and you're not going to win the war. And I'm talking about those who have not embraced discipleship. You can't win. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you try. I don't care what you go. You cannot beat this king. This king has far more resources than you would ever have. He only has the resources of life and death. That's all he has. Life. Think about it. The entirety of life. There are those of us in here. People have been placed in our lives that have helped us on this road to discipleship. And I recall people that helped me. And I look back and I say, it's amazing. People who you would not suspect. You see, that's the reason why you never underestimate your ability of speaking to people, of introducing the gospel. Not the big stuff, small stuff. And as I said earlier, invitation to Christianity explored. And being with them for seven weeks, I guarantee you, it makes an impact on a life. And, um, you know, we do our part, and God will do his part. And just like people who I know, as I, I say, well, they're not in the house. They're not following Christ. You, you, you have to remember that <laughs> this king got some, he got some serious reinforcements. Serious. His army is vastly superior to anything you could put up against him. And if he targets you, or he sends somebody into your life to bring you to Christ, you're not going to win. See, that's the reason why prayer is so powerful. That's why I know there are a lot of people, they told me after the fact, boy, I was praying for you. I didn't know they was praying for me. And I said to myself, I, I really truly understand how I was able to get through that particular situation. See, we cannot underestimate the power of God in the lives of people. See, God is interested in your good. No matter what the situation is. No matter how it looks. And God is going to use whatever means necessary to bring you to Christ. So, a true disciple realizes that nothing less than unconditional surrender is acceptable. You got to give it up. We got to give it up. There are those of us we got to give... We have given up some things, but we've not given up everything. But you see, the king is patient, he's kind, and he waits. Little by little, situation by situation, circumstance by circumstance, he's going to get you. Now, we have this saying in the Bible, you play crazy as much as you want. 
But as I said, this is a king you cannot defeat. Verse 33. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, it is in this context of surrender that Jesus speaks in this verse. Those who would be disciples cannot afford to maintain, as I said earlier, you cannot have a death grip on people. And when I say that, there are people in your life that are blocking you, that are obstacles to getting to Christ. In our context, and I, I always like, I have, because we have families and we love them. And as I said earlier one time, we have, I come from a family where there are two sets of people. Those who follow Christ and those who don't. And the situation came up with, came up with some younger people who were shocking up. And there were those of us who said, that is not acceptable. And I can tell you, we, it was a big argument and it was a fight. Because they were saying, you, you, you're, you're, you're old-fashioned. You all don't understand, this is a new, this a new age. This, that, that, that's, that's what's happened, that's a new trend. And then we're telling them, but so, 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 so what, does, what does Scripture say? What does the Bible say? You, and then, and then, and, and, and see, and then it gets heated because... You tell them, but they say, okay, you saying you following Christ. You say you was a Christian, and this is what you're allowing? And then they're telling us, I mean, they're looking at us like we're enemies. And this is, this is what I was talking about earlier about deception, and this is what I was talking about, about influence. We have to be very careful when we say we are followers of Christ. We are disciples. It cannot be superficial. As, as I read, it's just a veneer of Christianity. It's not the real thing. It's the counterfeit. So, you've got to release people. So, if it's, it's a love affair, it's an illicit love affair, you've got to let it go. Position. It may be some position that you, you have or your socioeconomic status. And what I'm talking about is you may be involved in things that are not pleasing to God. Yeah, you're making a lot of money. Yeah, you're living well. But in the final analysis, are you living for Christ? Again, another situation in my family there's a place that could be, it's a bar. And it's owned by a member of my family. And um, somebody else in my family said, listen, man, you need to put them people out and take over that bar and make yourself some money. <laughs> so she's talking to me. I'm talking to her. She, she said, David, I, I, I don't want to get involved in that stuff. I say, I would you. 
I am with you. You ain't got listen. If there's one person gonna be on your side, it's gonna be me. So we again, we have to be those who stand for Christ. And these are just little things, little things that probably may not mean anything. You say, but ain't no harm. It ain't no harm. It's just a bar. But what are the results? What are the consequences? And I know the place. Riot is carrying on, cursing all day. And I'd be like, this, this thing ain't even making no sense. But this is, what, this is what people do. This is what people compromise. They compromise to make money. But everybody is a Christian. Now, the disciple who considers the plan laid out by Jesus, he realizes that there is no greater person to love, no greater position to pursue, no greater position possession to run after. True disciples understand that they do not possess within themselves the resources necessary to pursue the call they have received from Christ. This has to happen by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's called divine enablement. That is how we are called to Christ. You see, true disciples know they don't have enough money to build the tower. The king has the money. He has the resources. They know they don't have enough troops to win the war. He has the troops to win the war. This war is going on for the souls, for the hearts of men. And they realize by renouncing their possessions, they become stewards of everything and owners of nothing. All for the service of the king. True disciples accept that salvation is by grace. And the gifts that God provides are the resources that make it all possible. And this enables them to be what he calls them to be. Disciples. So, in ending, we have to be people who put Christ above everything else. And for many of us, it looks different in our lives. You know, I heard um, Brother Seeley talk about idols. Yeah, some of us, we got, some, we got some big idols in our lives. We got to smash them and break them down. And they're very subtle. Especially those of us who live in the Western world. We have to be people who truly really count the cost and ask ourselves, are we really living according to what Jesus said about his followers. Not what some churches say. Not the big crowds who are in for it for the ride, the popularity, the glitz, and the glamour. But people whose hearts are truly resolved in service for the king. 
These are questions we have to ask ourselves. Our road to discipleship has, has to be reviewed. And um, as I started earlier, the year is almost finished. How have you grown in your discipleship? How? So these are questions we all have to answer. These are issues we have, that have to be addressed. And God is going to give you the grace to be able to do it. We have to submit. We have to give ourselves to him. We have to give it up. We have to surrender. Amen.